Way to hear it for the Pilly Singers. It's pretty good. I said first hour, we need to come up with a name for them. Their band name. Fanny Crosby wrote the hymn, so it's Fanny Crosby and the Flying Pillies. And they're going to be premiering tonight at the Slowdown for a punk rock concert. Oh. If, the, if we weren't friends with the Pillies, they would be offended and leave the church now. So, um, they are family friends, and I love the Pillies, and I'm glad they got to sing, and we got to be encouraged by that. So, <sighs> let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Uh, yet again, we're grateful for uh, the fact that you are a great Savior, and to God be the glory, even as the song says. And we are grateful that you impact families with the gospel, and we're grateful that you've impacted us with the gospel, and ask that you would do that yet again, even today, as we contemplate what Jesus taught when he was here, that it might impact our lives and matter, not just for now, but for eternity. So help us, guide us by the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, do more than we could possibly do on our own, even during this time that we have together. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to begin by asking you when the last time was that someone you didn't know very well sat you down and confronted you about your sin about your sex life, about your shallow spirituality. Perhaps never. <laughs> Perhaps no one would ever be so bold as to do that. And you would conclude if they did that they weren't very Christ-like. What would Jesus do? You'd say, surely that isn't what Jesus would do. And yet we find in the Sermon on the Mount... Jesus doing that very, very thing and more. You say, how could you even be more confrontational? He even goes further. And in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, he not only confronts about those kinds of personal issues, he goes even further to confront one more issue, another sacred cow. And you say, what could be more sacred? What is, what is left? What's he going to do? Talk about my money? Yeah, that's what he does next. So, as if it's not enough to confront you for your sin, if, as if it's not enough to confront you for your sexual morality or lack thereof, as if it's not enough to sh confront you for your shallow spirituality, he goes even further, the unthinkable, he talks to you about your checkbook. And so, this morning, we're going to be in the Sermon on the Mount, looking and hearing from Jesus, talking about money, of all things that ought not be spoken of in church. Um, right next to sin, we're going to learn about money from Jesus, and that will be what we do this morning. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Matthew 5, 6, and 7. We're going to look at Matthew 6, verses 19 to 24, where Jesus calls for us to have a right perspective. That's kind of the key word for the hour, to have a right perspective on money. Let me say right up front, Jesus is not going to call you to become uh, committed to asceticism. You might not even know what that is, but he's not going to call you to be that. Asceticism, where you go without anything. You have no money, you have no possessions, you have nothing, and that's the way to godliness. That is not what's presented to us in the Bible. That's not what Jesus calls for. Read the book of Colossians, and you find out that that is not what God is looking for. Other extreme, Jesus isn't going to call for us to be committed as, uh, to hedonism, where we use all of our money for whatever we want, and we just live high on the hog because, after all, Jesus would want you to be rich. Okay? We're not going there either. 
It's about perspective. Jesus wants you to have the right perspective. He wants me to have the right perspective on wealth. How should we view wealth? Being poor is not necessarily the issue. Being rich is not necessarily the issue. I promise I won't try to manipulate you today. Okay, I'm not going to march all of my five kids up here and put them in their worst clothes that they don't even wear, but we're going to do it as a prop and say, please, 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 you know, give us money. Manipulate, manipulate, manipulate. Or on the other hand, we're not going to have someone drive out front with a Ferrari or a Rolls Royce and say, you know what, Jesus wants you to be rich. Okay, we're not televising this. Okay, this is not that. Perspective is what he's looking for. And you might be saying, why are you even preaching on this today? Well, there's multiple reasons, but one reason would be it's because we haven't talked about money issues for quite some time. It's probably been years since we've talked about money, and I'll confess to you I don't like to talk about it. Um, It's one of those things I hate to do because I don't want it to be perceived as manipulation. Uh, The Bible does talk about money, so we need to now and then. And so I thought this would be a good Sunday because, so it wouldn't be perceived as manipulation. Um, Last month, Last month, we had the highest giving at Omaha Bible Church ever in the history of the church. Okay? It's a praise. It's awesome. It really is. It's a praise. We don't even talk about money. <laughs> Maybe that's the key. <laughs> Offerings will be down next week because I talked about it. <laughs> My point is, if we really had a need... I would express that to you and talk to you about what the Bible says. I would do that. But I wouldn't even want to do it because I don't want to be perceived as that guy who manipulates in the name of God. So I love this little providential time where biggest giving ever in the history of the church. Let's talk about money. (laughs) Because what I'm hoping happens, and maybe I'm just spineless and weak, I've been called worse. What I'm hoping happens is we can talk about the issue of perspective on money that is something Jesus talks about. It is important, but you don't have to feel like you're being manipulated, okay? I truly, as a pastor, want this to be a time for spiritual growth and development, conviction where you need to be convicted, encouragement where you need to be encouraged, but it's not about somehow getting your arm twisted so you can give to the offering today. It's not about that. So I want to seize this opportunity as a pastor to say, let's talk about this now, and it's not under the guise of somehow we need money now, quick. Fair? Call me me weak and spineless, if you will. Um, I guess I'm not Christ-like, because he would just talk about it. Um, But I'm working on Christ-likeness. It's a process. We believe in progressive sanctification. So let's just set all the agendas aside and say, Jesus' agenda, money's important. Let's see what Jesus has to say in this passage about our wealth. Okay? That's where we're headed. Um, Four parts. Easy to look and see what he's saying. Um, First, he begins with some instruction in verses 19 to 20. Then he gives an explanation of his instruction in verse 21. That's number two. Uh, Number three, an illustration in verses 22 to 23. And number four, he gives an exhortation as a closer in verse 24. So we'll divide it up into four parts. Instruction, explanation, illustration, exhortation. It's all about one thing. It's about perspective on money. Do you have a perspective that is a Christian perspective that honors Christ? Number one, let's jump right in. He starts off with a negative. Verse 19, do not. There's the command. Or you could even translate it, stop. Okay? Don't do this if you haven't started, but if you've already started doing this, then stop doing this. 
do not lay up or stop laying up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. There's the central command in the negative to the whole passage. Don't be a person who is characterized by laying up for yourselves treasures here on earth. Don't be that guy. Don't be that man. Don't be that boy. Don't be that girl. Don't be about amassing stuff in the here and now. It's in the present tense, which is important when we study the Greek New Testament because it's pattern, okay? Don't be characterized by those things. Don't, be, don't have that be what defines you as a person, one who amasses and, and, and tries to have all your wealth be in the here and now. Makes a lot of sense. The part that might not make as much sense is the fact that it's first century verbiage, right? So don't do this. Well, why don't, why don't we want to do this? Well, because if we do that, then moth and rust destroy and, and thieves break in and steal. Let's take just a few minutes to talk about what that would have looked like first century so we might understand the Bible a little bit better and then we'll move on. Obviously, when he says uh, where moth and rust destroy... One of the ways you would invest your monies in an older culture where you couldn't walk down to, to Centris or uh, First National or wherever and put your money in there uh, or the, the stock market, you would buy expensive clothing and maybe have it gold laden or something like that. And it would have actually, could have actually been an investment. Okay, you're going to put these clothes away and you could use them as, uh, Leverage, you can use it almost like we would think of money. So don't do that because moths can eat those away. Do we still have mothballs? I don't know, they smell really bad. That's all I remember. My grandma's house smelled like mothballs. Well, this is pre-mothball era, okay? I don't even think we have a major moth issue in, in our culture anymore. But we can still understand what he's getting at in the big picture. The next thing is, uh, obviously, we want to avoid the rust problem. We all think about cars they weren't thinking about cars, by the way. Um, <laughs> and we might even, tools would have rusted and things like that. So they're like some of you guys that tell your wife it's an investment to buy Makita or, or whatever it is. And these things end up rusting. Well, but literally the word that he uses is the word for eating something away. So it may not necessarily have to do with rust as we would know it, but that which, is, that which eats something away, like rats, like mice, vermin. So the image could be this. I'm going to amass my wealth in the here and now, so what I need to do is build bigger barns and better barns and have more produce and more wheat and more grain and more corn. And as long as I've got all of my barns filled up, then I'm considered a rich man. I'm a rich person. So that is really the idea he's getting at there back in first century. And then Finally, for those who diversify their portfolio, um, where thieves break in and steal. Maybe you have some gold, have some jewelry, uh, have some actual Roman currency. What are you going to do? You're going to keep it in your house. And literally break in? No, literally where thieves dig in and steal. Because they're going to dig into your mud-walled house and get your money and break in. Or, like we read about in other places in the New Testament, people would bury their treasure, they would put it in their field, and they would bury it, well, where thieves dig in and steal. Well, this is all first century and has uh, no meaning for today, so we're going to talk about something else. Well, not really, right? 
We're just more sophisticated about it. We do FDIC. Um, we diversify our portfolios and we're going to make different kinds of investments and we're going to kind of be above all of this. But we know principle is still real, right? Do not be a man or a woman characterized by someone as someone who is amassing wealth in the here and now. It's not a good investment. It's not a good investment because of what we know could happen to the stock market. It's not a good investment because of could still be stolen. It's not a good investment because how about at the end of the day, your heart beats its last beat. Ultimately, not a good investment. This is bad economics. Don't be this kind of person. Because in the end, your net worth is zero. That's all. Obviously, that's what he's getting at. Well, the positive counterpart is in verse 20. But lay up, also present tense. Have this be what characterizes your life. You're a person who lays up, you store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. That's where you invest. You invest in the the bank of heaven, so to speak, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. This is just really, really, really common sense. You want to learn a common sense principle? Well, invest in that which is a safe investment. Invest in that which has a big return on the investment and is safe. You invest in the things of eternity. You invest in things of heaven. He doesn't tell us what those things are, but this is the Sermon on the Mount. He is talking to them about what it means to be a kingdom citizen, what it means to belong to the king, what it means to worship the king, what it means to, 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 to be one who will inherit the kingdom ultimately, eventually, what it means to be a Christian. I would give you the shorthand for what is he talking about? What does it mean to invest in the things of heaven? It's to invest in gospel things. What's going to last? What consumes Christ? What consumes God? What consumes consumes the triune God? Well, when it comes to matters of human beings, it's the gospel. It's most certainly the gospel. Invest in those things. I don't think that's a stretch by any stretch of the imagination because we've got the Father sending the Son into this world to save. We've got the Son then doing His saving work and we have the Son going, ascending to the right hand of the Father. He is, inter, uh, he is our advocate. The Spirit is left to bring glory to the Son, to regenerate us. Tied to the gospel as well, to bring new life. So it's just about the gospel. The instruction is, invest in the things of heaven. Let's call them gospel things. Because that's a good investment. That's all. Invest in gospel things. Invest in things that are going to last forever, not things that are going to perish and go away eventually. Jesus the Economist. And sadly, there's probably some book about economics Jesus' way. Anyway, maybe I shouldn't say sadly, but... Let's just think about wise investing for a little bit when it comes to this business. We try to teach our kids if we have kids. We try to learn this lesson ourselves. 
A house is a good investment because you can build equity. Car is a bad investment. We usually think the opposite because <laughs> we like it to shine and we like it to go fast and it's tough to get that straightened out. We're on to something. That's good to teach your kids. It's good to learn this. I was just talking to my kids about it the other day, about cars. and You know, I just get my truck paid off. And you're sitting at the stoplight all happy and it just keeps revving. Transmission, $3,000. Read on the internet about how this is characteristic of this truck. Dang. I looked at Consumer Reports too. Got to go get a different truck and a truck payment because I'm not paying 3000 bucks. Oh, man. Drive it off the showroom floor. It goes down tons just because I got this car. It's crazy. You know, and I bought my first car. I bought a 1974 Cutlass Oldsmobile, top of the line 1974. I bought it in 1985. I bought it from Warren Buffett's uncle. Now, you tell me, when Warren Buffett's uncle bought that car, it wasn't a nice car. Electric windows, electric everything, all fancy, all decked out in 1974. I bought it in 1985, 400 bucks. Had to spend a little bit more on the Bondo. Had to spend a little bit more on the green spray paint to try to make it match, even though it never did. It was a piece of junk. You know, or, or how about this? Growing up in a house where my dad took care of cars like you wouldn't believe, not that there's anything wrong with taking care of your stuff, but we, we, we would get yelled at and scolded if we shut the door with anything other than the handle on the outside. Because you know that there are fine particles of dust. My dad washed his car once a week, by hand. Because you don't drive through because it scratches the paint. So, by hand. And you know there are fine particles of dust and you have oil on your fingers and if you touch the paint... Even though you'll never see the scratching, if you look close enough, you'll be able to see it. You wonder why I'm so weird. <laughs> you know what? Today, when I see, when I see a, a 19, I don't know, a 1983 Buick Riviera that was so amazing when my dad bought it, he would only keep it for a year. When I see one of those things driving down the street now, a 1983 Buick Riviera, I just chuckle. Think there it is. Don't touch the door. Only use the handles. <laughs> it's going to be a piece of junk. We just try to learn these lessons, and we say a house. On the other hand, thankfully, we can actually build some value and some equity. But you know what? At the end of the day, the house is all messed up too. Now the basement's leaking. Now there's cracks in the walls, and now there's been a leak somewhere else, and now the trees are dying. Somebody want to buy a house? <sighs> At the end of the day, even our good investments are going to wear out, are going to go bad, and at the end of the day, we're going to die. The principle of Jesus, the perspective is to get all of us, to get each of us to wake up, realize that time is short, realize basic economics would be, if you can invest in something that will last forever, like the gospel, if you can invest in that, you're a wise person. If you don't invest in that, you're foolish. There's another fancy word for foolish, right? You let your kids say it? It's stupid. <laughs> okay? If you want to be a stupid person, don't invest in heaven. Don't invest in the gospel. 
and you'll be proven to be a dumb person. You're a stupid person. Pretty, pretty brazen. Sometimes you think it's no wonder they killed Jesus. Pretty straightforward, pretty pointed, but very, very, very wise. Once again, I'm not suggesting that Jesus is somehow saying you should never, ever buy any things. There have been people who believe that and they end up needing to be addressed in the book of Colossians. The key to spirituality is not nothingness. Okay, so let's not go, let's not fall in that trap. The key to spirituality is not hedonism where you've got all this stuff and that proves the blessing of God. Let's not go there either. Jesus is going to drive the point home. It's about perspective. It's about how you see things. It's your take on things. And if you see things for what they really are, you will be a person, present tense, who is characterized by investing in gospel eternity. That's what we need to see. That's what we need to feel. We need to feel that burden and that sense and that sting if need be. One commentator who's now in heaven, so he knows this better than he ever knew when he wrote it, said this, Wealth for the believer is that which we store in heaven. And, and it comes from spending our material things for heavenly ends. What we invest in ministering to others is the true capital laid away in God's heavenly bank. Helpful. My physical resources, my stuff, how can I harness those things to somehow have them last forever or the impact of them? I've got to invest in gospel stuff. I've got to do that. Well, let's move on now to the second phase of this teaching from Jesus, and it would be an explanation of what he's just getting at. I think we've already got the explanation down, but now he gives us a, a fuller insight into it in verse 21. Look there with me, if you would, where it says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We could memorize that before we leave. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It might be haunting and you might be mad at me, but I'll be praising God. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let's sing it in a round. No, let's not. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. To have it locked in your mind, it's basic, basic explanation. I don't know how, how to improve upon it. In other words... Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, right? If I'm investing in the here and now, my heart is in the here and now. If I'm investing in gospel things, things of eternity, the things of heaven, the things the triune God is busy involved with, if I invest there, my heart is going to be there. Remember the heart in the Bible so many times, Old and New Testament, it's who you are. It's, it's, it's not Valentine's Day kind of stuff where it's just your emotions or just your, your, your physical affections. It's, it's who you are, heart, mind, used together. The, the very core of who I am as a person, where my treasure is, there I will be also. I'm in it. And so as a pastor, I'm saying, let's look at this. Let's look at this not in a context of manipulation or pleading or desperation, other than desperation for you being a, a, a fool or a wise person. 
uh, other than you and, and looking like a kingdom citizen that belongs to the kingdom of Christ, which would show that you will invest in that kingdom versus I say I'm a kingdom citizen, but I don't live like it. That's my burden today as a pastor. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There's a one-to-one correlation. Our friend Don Carson puts it this way in his excellent commentary on Matthew. The most cherished treasure, subtly but infallibly, interesting choice of words, the most cherished treasure, subtly but, but, but infallibly, I kind of said that like Don Carson would. Let's try that again <laughs> with the right stutter. The most cherished treasure subtly but infallibly controls the whole person's direction and values. That's a good in other words. It is the litmus. You want to know where somebody's heart is? Look where their treasure is. As one of my pastors used to say, show me a person's checkbook and I'll show you where their heart is. Gulp. Yeah, gulp. It's very personal. This is kind of interesting as an aside, technical note. In the two previous verses, you is plural, but in this one it is singular. The application is personal. So says Leon Morris. He's zeroing in. He's zeroing in on you, right? Going, all right, here we go. Here's where I'm feeling some tension as a pastor today. Maybe you've heard this saying before, maybe you haven't, but there's an old saying about pastors and their duties. The duty of a pastor, on the one hand, is to comfort the afflicted and the duty of a pastor on the other hand is to afflict the comfortable okay duty of a pastor is to comfort the afflicted to afflict the comfortable it's not biblical but it's not bad <laughs> in preaching this I can't, I can't really do that but I can pray that it happens some of you have a very sensitive conscience some of you are growing in godliness and the more you grow in godliness the more sensitive you are And you're thinking to yourself, man, I'm so convicted by this. And you're ready to absolutely give every, 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 every single last thing. And I've got to say, make sure you're careful not to think asceticism is the way. Be sure you read Colossians. Things aren't necessarily the problem. Okay, Remember, whether you eat, drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Okay, It's okay to eat and drink and do other things. Uh, Remember, there are godly people in the Bible who had lots of money. We know that at the very end, they end up saying, you know, at the end of the day, what's it about? It's about fear of God. But if you're the ultra-sensitive one, or how about, how about putting it this way? How about looking at this text as a reason for rejoicing? You're, a, you're the kind of person who invests in gospel things, in things of heaven, and this is something that's happened in your life as a result of the gospel, and you're a new creation in Christ, and you've seen fruit in your life, and you're here. I'd say, praise God. This isn't to beat you up then. If you've already had it invade your life and your personal space and you're seeing fruit, how about leaving saying, praise be to God, I haven't arrived, but I see fruit in my life. 
I'm so glad that God has worked in my heart through the power of the Spirit and the gospel that I now am the kind of person who's not an utter, utter fool like I used to be. I'm making some gospel investments. That's for some of you. Some of you should be leaving saying, praise God for his work in my life. Not that I've arrived, but there's, there's evidences here. When Jesus preached the sermon, there would have been people who would have been encouraged. They look like kingdom citizens. There's also the rest. The comfortable. Yeah. It's all fine and good. I gave it the office. That's what my dad used to say. You know what? You need to be afflicted. I can't do it though, other than to pause and say, you need to be afflicted. I'm praying for your affliction. Because <laughs> if you're a kingdom citizen, you're really a Christian, you know what? You need to be afflicted. And you need to start thinking that way and making wise investments. So I'm praying that some of you leave tremendously encouraged. I'm praying that others of you leave tremendously burdened and convicted. I'm so glad I don't know which is which. I'm so glad that I don't know what a single person at Omaha Bible Church gives to this church or any other charity. I don't ever want to know. The shoe fits today. Wear it, pal. (laughs) Be encouraged. Be convicted so you can become encouraged. But Jesus is clear. Perspective on things. Use your things for God's greater glory and gospel causes. Let's move on now. Now that some of you have been comforted, some of you have been afflicted. If you're a tweener, I don't know what to do with you. (laughs) Just feel afflicted. That's probably a good way to start. (laughs) It's the road to recovery. (laughs) Number three gives an illustration which I think is potentially confusing. I think it is confusing to us first, uh, our, us 21st century readers. But if we keep it in context, it's not a riddle. We can understand the gist of what he's getting at. So let's read 22 and 23 and uh, try to get the big picture of what he's getting at. 22 says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light is... In you, the light in you is darkness. How great is the darkness? Well, it sounds biblical and it sounds like Jesus said it, but it's a little bit tough. If we take a closer look at 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. It's not a riddle, though. What does a lamp do? A lamp brings light, right? If you have a dark room, let's say, and you need to work on something. Okay, it's getting dark in your house, it's the end of the day, it's winter time, and you need to work on the computer, and you need to take the case off and get in the back and do all that kind of stuff. If you can't see, you can't do it. You won't have right perspective. Somebody turns the lights on, and you're like, oh, wow, I can see, this is really helpful. I can do this now. You have right perspective because of right vision. That's what lights do, that's what lamps do. I think that's what he's getting at here when he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If you can see things the right way, perspective, your heart that he was talking about before, body, heart analogy here, will follow suit. 
I think that's the essence of what he's getting at, and I think that's what most people think as well. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light, but if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If you can see this, if you can see the right perspective that the things in the here and now are eventually going to be worthless, if not even not eventually, but now, and things that are in heaven are going to last forever because they're gospel redemptive things. If you can see that perspective, your body will follow. Your heart will follow. You will follow. If you have the right perspective, your life will follow and you will have a right life as a Christian. Changes. It's a deal changer. It's a game changer. Got to have the right perspective. Got to have the right view. Now all of a sudden my heart is right. My life is right. Everything makes sense. It's all put in context. It's a good illustration. Turn the lights on. Jesus is turning the lights on. All those things you've been amassing, in the name of significance, he's saying, will be no significance eventually anyway. That's like a light bulb. But what will matter are things you invest in that are heavenly things. Gospel things. It's very, very, very helpful what Jesus does here. Wrong perspective will be a wrong life lived. Right perspective, right lived life. Live like a kingdom citizen if you say you belong to the king. Now let's move on. Let's wrap this up with number four. He gives an exhortation. This is pretty hardcore. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. That's an exhortation. (laughs) Right? He just puts it all in perspective. Let me tell you about it. It's all about slavery. And you are a slave of someone. Or a slave of something. He's not talking about employment. Well, you know what? I work 20 hours here and 20 hours there. I work 30 hours here and 40 hours there. I understand what it means to have two different jobs. He's not talking about jobs. He's talking about being a slave. And if you're a slave of someone, you're their slave. You don't belong to someone else. You belong to them, right? And he's exhorting us with that reality as he says, you cannot serve God and money. You can't have two masters. It can't be done. It can't be done. Romans 6 says we're slaves of Christ. We belong to him for Christians. So we want to live like we're slaves of Christ. And that is reflected in what we do with our stuff. He's not saying don't have any stuff. Use your stuff for greater kingdom purposes. Use your stuff for the glory of Christ. Use your stuff for His honor and for His glory. And that will mean you start looking a lot like a slave. Because a slave does everything they do for their master. If they're a good slave, 
You say, well, we don't have slavery today in our culture here. Oh, yes, we do. And what you and what I do with our resources demonstrates whose slave we are. Point of the whole passage. Perspective. Perspective on money. And what you do and what I do with my money gives perspective as to whose slave we are. For myself personally, and hopefully for my own heart, I made this note in my notes. Jesus doesn't ask for 10%. Not saying the Bible doesn't talk about percentages. It does in other passages. But not here. This is about 100%. Slave talk. Can't serve God and money. This should be, for many of us, should be for all of us, freeing slave talk. This brings perspective to my life. I needed somebody to bring perspective. Praise be to Jesus Christ. He gives you perspective. Let me tell you how it works, friends. Okay? Here's how it works. Is the essence of what Jesus is getting at. You're a slave of one thing or you're a slave of something else. So what we want to do, by God's grace, we say we're Christians, we belong to Jesus, we're enslaved to Him in all the best senses, and everyone's enslaved to something, Romans 6. To walk out of here as faithful servants to the Lord, slave talk, to the Lord Jesus Christ, because we say we belong to him by virtue of his atoning work on our behalf. He bought us out of the slave market of sin, Romans 6, and now we belong to a new, gracious, wonderful master who's merciful, kind, and gracious and gives us so much that we're even called his heir, joint heirs. We want to walk out those doors today thinking in terms of I am a slave of someone or something, I, by God's grace, want my actions to reflect the fact that I'm a slave of Jesus. That's all. And I don't know about you, but I can look back in my life and see that there's been growth. I'm not the person I used to be, by God's grace, and I'm really glad for that. But there's all kinds of struggles along the way. And so, you know what? I want to embrace it and say, I need to grow here. I need to think in terms of, I belong to Jesus By His grace, that should affect the way I see things. The way I see things that are valuable. Let's have an offering. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) We'll do like 27 stanzas of give your all to Jesus. And uh, surely, surely there's some more money in your pocket. We don't accept lint, but we accept credit cards. (laughs) We're not, we're not doing that, but in all seriousness, 
We're taking an offering today. When you leave here today, if you're a Christian, think in terms of Romans chapter 12, and you're offering your very life as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. You leave here offering your life to Christ because he bought you with his life and his death. And so do think of it in those terms. And it's an ongoing offering. I give you myself, Jesus. I give you my all, not to pay for my salvation, not to earn my way. You did all of that for me. But as a now loyal subject, grateful subject, I want to serve you with what I do with my money. Help me to do that. And then we'll be on to something. Pray with me if you would. Father, thank you for our time. Thank you for your great son, Jesus. Uh, I, for one, am so glad that my salvation is not dependent upon my wise use of money. I'm thankful that Jesus came to die for sinners who were foolish with their money. But I'm thankful that he also came not only to forgive us of our sins, but he came to redeem us and he came us to give us new life, to make us new creatures in Christ so that we would have a desire now to show our thanksgiving by showing our devotion to a new master whose name is Jesus. So we're grateful for these things. Help us to be clear on the gospel today, knowing that as we leave, we don't want to do these things with money to somehow earn our way. But we do want to do these things because Jesus has earned our way. And so it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Close the family. Close. Going to you. Close the family.